Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Zach's trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. But Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside. A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Chaos Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Fubo TV. Watch over 100 channels of live sports and TV for half the cost of cable. There's no contract and no commitment. Try for free at FuboTV.com. No one else there is? There's no Carter Rodriguez on today's podcast. He ran away from me once again. He's afraid of my takes. But you know what? It's no big deal because... I could not be more excited to bring on somebody that I've been dying to have on this podcast for a while from the score. It's Espandiar Barahini. S, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. Thank you. I guess you could say Carter's running away from the grind, you know, shout out Damian Lillard. Um, but no, I, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. It's it's actually a pleasure. Been looking forward to talking Cavs with you for a while now, so excited to do it. I, I'm really excited to have you on as well because, I, I mean... You cover the NBA uh, as a whole for the score. You do a fantastic job. I, I think you're one of the most positive, like hoops loving people I know, and one of my favorite guys to to follow on, on Twitter. Uh, so really excited to have you on, and, and excited to get your perspective on not only what I think could be a very promising rivalry between the Cavs and Raptors, and I want to reignite that rivalry, but also just you know the the state of the Eastern Conference and where those two teams fit in. So I want to start things off by talking about where I kind of have the East in terms of tiers. Right now, I feel pretty confident saying that the top tier in the Eastern Conference is Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Miami. After that, I've got four teams in tier two. And no particular order, but kind of particular order. I got Toronto, Cleveland, Atlanta, and Chicago. I'm going to stop there. Do you have any objections, any teams that I excluded that you disagree with? Or, or do, do you have any of those teams in different orders? We actually have the exact same thing in almost the exact same order, shockingly. So sorry, continue. Go I ahead. like it. Go. Okay, that's that's a good sign. After that, you know, you got New York. Charlotte's obviously a, a tough situation. You don't know how that's going to go. I think they're actually going to take a bit of a step back, uh, given the Miles Bridges situation. Washington and then Brooklyn is just such a weird situation. And then three promising teams. Like, I actually think I'm going to end up watching them a lot on League Pass. But Detroit, Indiana, and Orlando... They're still at the bottom, and some of that, <laughs> like, if you look at the East two years ago, I feel like those teams would be more competitive in the East, but it really has been an arms race the last few years. Yeah, I and it, to your point, it is really tough to gauge how much of a leap they might make. They've obviously added some interesting talent in a Jaden Ivey, in a Jalen Duran. Um, you know, obviously, Kate Cunningham is is who he is. And then on the other side for the Magic, adding Paolo Bancaro, it's, it's a whole different situation. But I think... There's so much promise there that you could see that there's the potential they can get to that next level, that next tier, if you will, of the East. It's just a matter of when that happens. I maybe it doesn't happen next season. Um, you know, it would be pretty surprising to me if Orlando takes that step next year. I think Detroit is probably in a little bit better of a position to to maybe make some noise in the East. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're they're very very exciting teams, and I think the Pacers are probably, if I had to like divide those three teams i would probably put the pacers last because i think they're a really? little bit the, the reason i say that is because i think they're a little bit behind on 
the rest of the roster. They have Tyrese Halliburton, obviously. Uh, Benedict Matherin is is another promising guy, but I think there's still some things around them that I would like them to add to to kind of just make the team make more sense to me. I think the yeah. Pistons make more sense to me now. Orlando makes more sense to me, but Indiana in the make sense category is kind of trailing behind those two. Yeah, and I guess it also depends on whether they decide to keep Miles Turner, uh, Buddy Heald. Yeah. Like that, that obviously kind of changes things because Halliburton, he's older than a lot of these young players that we're talking about to begin with. So I, I kind of give him a bit of a nod. Uh, sure. And then you do have the experience that guys like Turner and Buddy bring to the table. But, um, you know, it, it's probably going to come down to health, right? Like as, as much as we hate talking about it and whichever of those teams kind of makes a decision to either keep the roster intact or or kind of is broken up by injuries and, you know, kind of playing the long game of we're not going to play guys hurt if we're not competing for the playoffs, um, that, that's probably going to determine how those teams shake out. But I'm glad you agree with my tiers at the top because when I look at the second tier where I think both of our, our favorite teams lie, I, I look at Atlanta. I look at Toronto and I look at Cleveland out of those three as the teams that have kind of the most promising young cores from that group. Um, yeah. Chicago, they do have young players that I really like. And, and that's at this point, it's not unique around the league. I, I think every team, even if you're drafting later on, you get interesting players that are, are worth keeping a track on. Uh, but really, when it comes down to it, I think Atlanta and Toronto seem like teams that there's already if not bad blood, there's a bit of a rivalry already starting. That, that, that was happening even when the Cavs were struggling last year or the previous <laughs> year with the, the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, those teams did not seem to like each other. They always played each other close. And in yeah. Toronto, we now have not, not only do we have kind of the, the history of those playoff series, which always helps when you're talking about building a rivalry, but yeah. you now have the added element of the Scotty Barnes versus Evan Mobley thing, which both fan bases feel very passionately <laughs> about. Um, there, there's a leaked report already that these teams are, are going to face off on opening night. We'll see tomorrow when the schedule is actually out. I love that. I hope that's the case. Uh, where, where do you rank those teams, those, those three in terms of kind of the young cores? Yeah. Um, I mean, you could kind of go either way because I think, think and maybe we both agree on this if we had to pick the best player uh, of the bunch between those three it'd be Trey Young Trey yeah. Young is the best player from those three and I, th I think that's a fair assessment to make from there on it's really a debate of okay would you prefer a Garland would you prefer a Pascal Siakam would you prefer you know anyone in that next tier uh, hey, 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 don't Allen. you don't you dare start slipping Pascal Siakam into young court <laughs> that guy's turning 29 <laughs> before next season. okay touche 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 you know, touché, 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 you touché. know uh, be careful <laughs> yeah you know what's crazy though it's just because of the amount of time he's like been at this level yeah. it kind of it skips you that he's you know he's actually nearing the age of 30 or i think he might be 30 right and, like within well, the next uh, year he's, so. he's 28 and, and i think by playoffs he'll be 29 but you know right. he, he's a great example and once again i'm, I'm going to spew my propaganda but Someone that came into the eight, uh, league at 22 years old is still capable of getting better. And, and oh, people yeah. should keep that in mind with Ochai Abashi because there's tons of examples around the league. I have a question about him later. We'll, we'll, I'm, I'm very excited to ask you about Ochai. Um, so the in general, I think tier-wise, you could go either way with those three. Um, mm -hmm. But I do think in terms of you have that star player, Atlanta is probably ahead of both Toronto and Cleveland. Yeah. But at the same time, I think Toronto and Cleveland have an advantage over Atlanta because they have more young talent that is probably just like in terms of rotation, right? Think about mm -hmm. for the for the Cavs, you have Sexton, which is right now a question mark, Garland, right? Um, and then on top of that, you have Okoro, Mobley, Jared Allen, who is still young. So there's there's a lot of young talent there. And then for mm -hmm. the Raptors, there's Scotty Barnes, Precious Achua, OG Ananobi, Gary Trent Jr., you know, these guys that they have as well. I think in terms of Overall collective talent, the Raptors and Cavs probably have them outmatched. But mm -hmm. in terms of the number one, you know, superstar type player that they have, Trey Young probably tops anybody of those three teams. I, I think so too. And really, like, I know everyone's going to come up with their own rankings of the Eastern Conference, but. I don't think there's enough that separates Atlanta, Toronto, Cleveland, and Chicago. Like, I, I think it's going to come down to who dropped the fewest games that they should have won, who uh, yeah. navigated injuries the best, right? Like, all, all these kind of little things. And I think when it comes to a playoff series, 
I give all three of those teams an edge over the Cavs um, just because there's more experience there, right? Like, I, sure. I think that was one of the kind of the missed opportunities uh, with the Cavs missing the playoffs last year, that even if it was a four or five game series, learning to game plan for over the course of a seven game series, yeah. planning for the same opponent, like that's experience that Toronto has, that Cavs don't, obviously Trey Young had a, has a conference finals run, um, uh, Chicago's full of guys that have experience in those situations as well. And, and that stuff really ends up mattering. But the other side of that coin, of course, is the Cavs are so much younger than those mm -hmm. other teams. And you got to add someone in Ochai who I, I think can really end up helping this team. But in the interest of reigniting the rivalry, which is what <laughs> we're all here for today, I thought it would be kind of a fun exercise for both of us to ask our three kind of most burning questions about the other side. And I'll kick things off with the Toronto Raptors, which is, I mean, if we're talking about the relative young cores and, and this being a rivalry moving forward, we do have to address the elephant in the room at the start, which is that the Toronto Raptors have been rumored in some consolidation trades, whether it's Kevin Durant, Donovan Mitchell. Do you... Uh, as a fan and in your heart of hearts, do you want to see the Raptors accelerate the timeline in pursuit of that kind of consolidation trade if it does mean moving on from your young core? Because ah. you do have these promising young players, yeah. but Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam are at the prime of their careers, 28, 29 years old. Where do you want to see this go? The, asking that question as a fan is a little bit different than being like, hey, dude from the score, answer that question for me. Um, because I'm, I'm interested a, in the fan. Like, I, yeah, the end, I like, get it. I get it. This, yeah. is, this is my space, right? Like, I, I get to stay a fan all the time. So I, I want to hear your heart <laughs> of hearts. And you can mix some analysis in there if you want. Yeah, yeah. I Look, I mean, uh, I guess if I'm putting my analysis hat on real quick, I think money is going to get tight here uh, for the Raptors very, very soon. There's just a bunch of guys who are coming up on extensions. Obviously, you have to consider in the back of your mind, a Scotty Barnes extension coming at some point in time over the next, I think, what, two, three years left. Anyways, mm -hmm. th there's still that pressure to Chua, obviously an extension coming up. Gary Trent Jr., who's going to opt out of his player option, most likely in 2023, going to be a free agent. Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi. So there's a lot of money that is 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 going to shrivel up really, really quickly for this team. Um, and I think that's when you kind of consider, yes, a consolidation move makes a ton of sense because they have a lot of these players that they can package together for Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell or, you know, to Raptors fans, um, delight a Shea Gilgis Alexander, who is a guy <laughs> who they have constantly tried to target. Um, so, you know, th these type of guys, I think, make a lot of sense for the ethos of the team. And if you believe in a Pascal Siakam, if you believe in a Fred Van Vliet to be the supporting cast around one of these players, whether it be mm -hmm. a Kevin Durant or a Donovan Mitchell or a Shea Gilgis Alexander, whoever it might be, if you believe in those guys to be a, a supporting cast, which in all fairness, we have seen them do in 2019, they were a supporting cast to a, a, a magnificent player in Kawhi Leonard. If that is something that you believe in, and I think in my heart of hearts, I do believe that they can do that. I do believe that is a core that can be a championship contender given yeah. that you know, option one type of guy, um, then yeah, you start considering, okay, you know, how can we package together an OG Ananobi, a Gary Trent Jr., maybe throwing in a precious Achua in there to see what you can get. I I mostly agree with the sentiment that Scotty Barnes is untouchable. I think mm -hmm. with the same thing with, you know, Evan Mobley, it's, they're too young. They're too young to even consider them in deals and they've just shown too much potential to the point where you'd want to even consider them in a trade for a guy who's 34 years old and a Kevin Durant. Yeah. If this was 29-year-old Kevin Durant, if this was 28-year-old Kevin Durant, this may be a different story and you consider it more heavily. But I don't think for that age difference, you can really consider moving a guy like Scotty or even Mobley, right? It's just yeah. It just doesn't make sense to me. So I think, yes, consolidation is something that is coming within the next couple of years, but it's just about making that right move at the right time and you know, we've seen it with Messiah Jerry. It is all about timing and, and figuring out the, the moment that makes sense for you to go all in. Yeah, the, the Scotty KD thing is really interesting for me because the, the main difference between the Raptors situation and the Cavs is Garland's 22 and, and Allen's 24, right? Like, e even if you have, like, e even if you didn't even cost anything, if you add a, a star player to the mix, there's still that experience curve, right? There's that learning yeah. curve where Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet have championship experience. So 
um, it, I understand how there is a kind of a, a healthy debate out there about the merits of that. And I mean, the last time Toronto traded a fan favorite with negative on off splits for a star a small <laughs> forward, it worked out pretty well, you know, so um, I, oh, this is reigniting the rivalry. It is. It is. I see it. I see it. <laughs> yeah, you, you see where I'm going with this. Um, but yeah, for that reason, do you find like the prospect of doing something where Scotty's not involved, but, you know, paying a heavy price for someone like Donovan Mitchell, who yeah. is younger and has more years on the timeline. Like, does is that more appealing for you? Or I think I, so. I mean, Shea, the Shea thing is interesting, too. I, I feel like Raptors fans do with Shea what we did with, like, Brandon Ingram. Now, now we've kind of given up hope that that's ever possible. <laughs> but it's, it's just like the fit and the storyline, all that is just so fun there. I, I understand yeah, yeah. why... why you, you'd go nuts for that. I mean, every time he suits up for Team Canada, it's just like a whole moment. You know, everybody is is kind of in that energy and they see him in the red and white and they're like, oh, it's meant to be, right? So I, I, I think it does make you more cognizant of, cognizant, excuse me, of the fact that, you know, something has to get done here if they believe in this core. And I think I, I keep stressing if they believe in this core because of the fact that over the past couple of years, we haven't really seen Raptor, like the, the front office in general, do any drastic moves that dictate that they really, really do believe this is a championship core. Mm. With that being said, adding a guy like Kevin Durant changes that. Adding adding a guy like Donovan Mitchell even changes that. And I think they understand that, you know, the the ethos, I guess the the tandem of Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet can be a supporting cast, but does it make sense to make that move? And does it make sense for what player is always the question? I think yeah. You know, it at that point like, you're, you're kind that's, of that's that's the tricky. It's thing. a risk, right? Like, yeah. I, I think Toronto and Cleveland are in the same situation where it's kind of seems like there will be a consolidation move at some point over the next couple of years, but you have no yeah. control over what players are going to be available at that time, yeah. right? And and you have to make these very difficult situ uh, decisions over where how far along are we are we this player away is this yeah. worth giving up the now standard every pick you owe in the future kind of thing like th those are really really tough decisions that if you make that decision for the wrong player it can really do a lot of damage for your team so that's that's very very difficult and i'm I'm not envious of you guys because I, I feel like the Cavs have a little bit more time to, to figure that stuff out. Um, Age, right? Age is such a yeah. massive factor of this because you, you like and, and the contract situation is such a fun wrinkle because these guys are going to look for max, max extensions coming up, too. So you have to essentially commit to say, hey, this is the core we want to build around over the next couple of years. Or you have to decide, hey, let's retool. Let's let's build around Scotty and OG and those guys and go young again. But yeah, there's going to be some really, really important decisions coming up for these guys. Absolutely. All right. Let's 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 have it. What's here, your first here question. question here? Well, I was I, I mean, I guess my question is uh, is a little bit different. OK, so I've, I've seen a lot of stuff about Mobley um, mm -hmm. and just in general, his growth, his development, what people expect of him, especially when it comes to self-creation. Uh, I have my own opinions on this. And, you know, as a guy who like I they were Cavs were like my second team last year. I followed them so religiously. Um, what are your feelings or your just idea in terms of the pro pro like projection specifically when it comes to Mobley self-creation. Yeah. I, I think when it comes to next year, I'm not expecting like a massive statistical leap, but yeah. I am expecting more experimentation and, and that may come with growing pains, but even I don't expect his self-creation to come from like, okay, it's a set defense. We give it to Mobley and go cook. Like, I, yeah. I think it's going to come off of movement uh, where, where you get the ball to him after, like, an off-ball action, whether it's, like, leveraging the gravity of Garland off-ball or Abaji or any of those guys. Like, they've got a lot of guys that, that can be active, and getting the ball to him and getting him to attack a destabilized defense and acting in dribble handoffs and all that sort of thing. Like that's where I see kind of the self-creation and almost maybe like mimicking some of like Minnesota Kevin Love, where it's like high post actions where uh, he's initiating the offense from that kind of standpoint. I think that's the kind of things that I'd really like to see or a pop off of a double drag, right? Like we, we saw some yeah. videos of him working on uh, the three pointer in that scenario. Like that's, that's the kind of stuff that I'd really like to see versus the creation against the set defense. I, I think that is the best way to kind of 
implement some wrinkles into what the Cavs are already doing that don't disrupt what made that group so special in year one. Yeah, and I, I, I'll just to, I guess, add to this, I think as the season went on, you saw him work on his face-up game so much more. Um, and when it comes to like breaking, breaking, not necessarily breaking a down guy off the, a guy off the dribble, but like footwork, figuring out angle and just attacking a guy on his, on his weak foot, whatever you want to call it. Like all of these little things, you saw different wrinkles being added as the season went on. I, I really don't understand. There's this something, there's something on Twitter going on with like, oh, Mobley's offensive creation is cooked. He, he, like, no, there's not really a potential there, et cetera, et cetera. And I completely disagree. I, I don't see it at all. I actually think there's there is potential there, not necessarily to be like a self-sufficient Nikola Jokic type of creator, but in a sense where he can create his own shot. He can create for others a little bit too. He's obviously shown some playmaking chops last year. And, you know, be this you know, self-sufficient type of score. I really do think that's possible for him. I don't understand why there's a conversation against that. So that's, I guess that's the thing I wanted to ask you is why, where's this conversation coming from, really? Well, I I think that's all tied into the rivalry, right? Like, especially when you had down the stretch, not only was the rookie of the year debate so close, you had Cavs and Raptors so close in the standings. And as the Cavs kind of fell apart, you you had people picking holes and uh, even people citing the defense without Jared Allen, where you saw the defensive drop-off with Allen and no Mobley was the exact same as yeah. Mobley with no Allen, right? Like, I really worked well as a tandem. So I, I think you're always going to have people poking holes. And uh, the fact that both Mobley and Scotty Barnes were so, like, such a significant part of two teams that were already playing winning basketball, mm-hmm. um, like, that's that's a real feather in their cap. So you're going to have people picking nits and uh, you're, you're going to have people kind of accentuate the aspects that one does and not the other. And I, I think you even saw that with Cade Cunningham. Whereas I think if Cade Cunningham was added to the Raptors or the Cavs, he probably would have had an even better season because you look at those three players in particular, they're all so high IQ that yeah. the more talent you put around them, the better they're going to look. So I, I agree with you. Like, I, I think Mobley actually showed more self-creation than I even expected in his rookie year. Like, he's got that that Kevin uh, Kevin Garnett, like, turnaround jumper, right? That That's so hard to block. Yeah. And uh, just the way that he leverages his length and his impressive balance. Like, he almost never falls down, but he's kind of knifing around guys and, and using his length to his advantage. Like, that kind of stuff as he adds more strength and as he tightens up his handle, improves his jump, that's all going to be there he, he's not going to need to dance like Darius Garland in order to get his his buckets yeah I I, I think that's actually such a good point for Mobley and Scotty because they were both touted as guys who were defensive minded coming into the draft and you know especially going into year one and Mobley showed off a lot of defensive chops I think Scotty definitely has to improve in that category but the funny thing is I think offensively they both showed a lot of promise as well promise that we didn't probably expect in year one well, so people yeah. calling Scotty a zero level scorer yeah. and, and we were we were high on on Scotty uh, on the podcast too going into the draft process but once the Cavs were at three and we were like okay we're getting Jalen Green and then all of a sudden the reports came out that Houston was locked in on him I'm like okay we're actually getting Evan Mobley we're yeah, Mobley. Okay, that's uh, that's pretty exciting. There was a, there was a tiny bit of like there was maybe a, a 0.5 of a second where we thought you guys would go ahead and you know go off the board and maybe take someone else and we'd end up you know the Raptors would end up with Mobley. So it was just like fingers crossed. We were hoping for him to drop too because he obviously fills such a important need for for the Raptors as a you know interior big. But yeah, absolutely. Well, my next question is. Outside of Scotty Barnes, who is a young player that you're kind of banking on to show the most meaningful internal growth this season and, and like really kind of step up their contributions to the Raptors? Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned him a little bit earlier, but it's definitely Precious Achua. Um, okay. I think the reaction Raptors fans had from him in game one when he just looked lost on the court, you know, positionally, he just didn't know what he was doing um, to game 82 when he had become like a self-sufficient, he was pull, pulling up from three. He, I believe after January 1st, he shot almost 40% from three. Um, you know, the stroke looked much better. He was much more in control. I kind of liken him to like the Tasmanian devil where he's just spinning around everywhere and trying to do things, but he really didn't know how to channel that energy. Um, and throughout the course of the season, he did, he figured it out and he just became a really, really strong defender, a positional defender, switches, 
you know, we say one to five, one to five is pretty ridiculous to think of, but he can, he can definitely switch three to five um, and guard a lot of wings, guard a lot of bigs, and even, you know, give his hand at trying to guard a Joel Embiid, guard a Nikola Jokic, the bigger guys that you could expect. That's one guy that I think if he can become more consistent, now you have a second promising guy, a, a young guy specifically that you can look forward to. And I think a lot of, um, you know, Raptors fans, Raptor media really expect that to happen. Even Nick Nurse himself, he went on a podcast, I believe a couple of months ago and mentioned that Precious has kind of figured it out now, you know, over that last year, he was really trying to figure out who he can be as a player. And now that he knows, he understands what role he can play in this league. He's kind of doubling down on those things and, and focusing more on the little things that he can do and improve on to get to that next level. I think Precious Precious is a guy who defensively all like all we say all defense but he really does have potential to be an all defense type guy and then if the offense can just be a little harnessed more and less chaotic it's the sky's the limit for the dude really. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think the post All-Star stretch like he was a major part and, and it didn't get talked about because he, he wasn't kind of one of the feature guys, but yep. his play after the All-Star break where he's shooting four threes a game at 39%. His uh, true shooting percentage went up by basically 10%. It was still below league average, but you know, like he was out there with a different kind of gravity and different level of confidence. Um, so I, I think looking at those post All-Star splits sometimes it, it doesn't tell you the full story but there's other times where it really does kind of indicate hey there there's something here this player figured it out uh we, we saw that with Darius Garland where his first two years even like he he got a lot better after the all-star break and kind of got a little bit of confidence and uh the the leap we saw last year was telegraphed in April the year prior so I I could definitely see that with Precious and to me it's interesting because that's kind of the the one spot on the roster and I know they they uh, use the second round pick on a center, but that's that's kind of the one spot that's a little bit of a, a question mark, especially when you look yeah. at kind of the the NBA adding so much size and, and more yeah. and more teams going to, to bigger looks. I mean, you the Cavaliers are a massive example of this, right? These double big lineups are becoming more and more consistent with Allen and Mobley and, you know, Minnesota, you have Gobert and Cat. So teams are going big a lot more now and they're comfortable going big and staying big. So I think that's definitely something the Raptors are considering. Um, and obviously with their all six, nine lineup, it's, it's going to be, you know, an interesting wrinkle to add in there. I just wanted to say one thing when it comes to, um, when it comes to precious specifically and, and just Garland and like all-star break leaps. I remember a year before the Cavs made their leap, I made a video on the score saying, look, watch out for sex land. I was actually, funny enough, I was really, I really that. close. I was close to wearing your shirt, the sex land shirt on the video, but it didn't happen, <laughs> didn't work out. Anyways, um, so, you know, I, I really do think that all-star break leap is such a good indicator for guys taking leaps in that next season because it shows a wherewithal, an understanding, maybe something figuring, you know, you're, you're figuring out something, something clicked, right? Yeah. Um, and in that next season, if you can carry that momentum forward, it's it's really indicative of something. So yeah, I, I think Precious is definitely on that list of guys where it's like, hey, watch out for him, he may take a leap. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And uh, I remember that was one of the things that was most encouraging for me was the fact that while Garland was putting up like that 21 and seven, Sexton was playing so well, right? Like it yeah. wasn't, they weren't sapping off of one another and one's holding the other one back. It, it showed me that even with someone getting a, a lot of shots that, that Garland can still get his numbers off. And, and that's what really makes his game so scalable and attractive and really kind of opens up the possibilities for the types of players they can add moving forward. I All am right. glad you asked that question or brought up Sexton because it is related. This is related. Obviously, okay. um, you know, the restricted free agency talk with Colin Sexton and him, kind of being squeezed a little bit here um, when it comes to his extension and whatnot, whatever you want to call it, right? Whatever's happening right now is, is behind the scenes and they're trying to figure out what, you know, what number really works the best for both sides. But I do think a, a question to be had here is, do you think long-term the Sexton-Garland duo backcourt, whatever you want to call it, is a viable way moving forward, especially now that you know, you know, Mobley is in, uh, on the back line, Allen is on the back line, you have Okoro who is a good defender, Ocha, right? Do you believe in that as your backcourt for the next four or five years? I think it can work. I, I, th I think you can absolutely have a guard rotation where both of those guys are working. Now, there's a very real possibility 
that it has a ceiling and, and that, you know, you get to the playoffs and, and it gets attacked in ways uh, that, that make it hard to work. But we've also seen shorter backcourts work defensively. Mm. Like I, I think Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet's a great example. Both of those guys are 5'11", and they made it work because there was Marc Gasol and Siakam and Ibaka yeah. and Kawhi Leonard, right, and, and OG for a lot of that season. So I, I think you can make it work, and they've already put quite a bit of infrastructure in place with Mobley and Allen. Like, that covers up for so much. Um, but it, it is tricky. Like, I, I, I definitely see the potential for it not working long term but i do think right now the best way forward is to run back what you have and really see okay what lineups work best can these guys play well off of one another like that that's where i think they are on the developmental curve is still kind of in the wait and see mode like i i think when you look at the portland example of damon cj that's the common example people bring up with these two, right? Yeah. Right. Like, I, I think when you look at the example, the mistake Portland made wasn't, um, you know, keeping them together and giving CJ a second contract or, or and all that kind of stuff. It was when the opportunities came up for a consolidation trade, they didn't make that move. Like, Toronto ran into that with Lowry and DeRozan. Like, the mistake wasn't having those two together. It's okay. Once you kind of bump into a ceiling in the playoffs, you have to recognize that and make the move. Could Portland have gone out there and added Kawhi Leonard when he was available, right? Like uh, could, would CJ have been part of that package? Cause I, I don't think San Antonio got necessarily like a fantastic <laughs> return for Kawhi yeah. Leonard, right? Like yeah. you feel like they, they could have been competitive. So it's, it's one of those tricky things, right? Of you can see a potential ceiling in the future, but you don't want to move too soon and kind of like anticipate that ceiling and sell low on a tandem before you really get a sense of whether or not it can work. So for, for me, I, I really do think they can work. I, I think you need to get a little bit creative with the rest of the stuff around the lineup. Obviously, you'd want to stagger those two. But I do think historically, having a, a player like Sexton that has played well off ball and has adjusted to that role, um, especially if he can kind of up that three-point volume, I think that that's something that can work. The biggest question is going to be whether or not he recognizes his defensive potential. And I think he showed signs in that last season. But when you're talking about such a small sample size, there's reason for doubt, it, especially when you throw in the complexity of an injury situation as well. Yeah. I mean, the one of the famous pictures of Sexton is him, you know, smacking the floor with him on defense, guarding the guy, right? So, like... Yeah. That defensive intensity is there. There is, uh, you know, they say he's got that dog in him, right? Yeah. He really does have that dog in him. So, like, I I think in a lot of ways, Sexton adds so much versatility to the team. And with Mobley at the back line, Allen at the back line, you have a couple of other wing defenders that you can maybe mold into being these 3 and D guys. I think that's the perfect type of team to have a small backcourt with yeah. because you're, you know, you're like you said with Fred VanVleet and Kyle Lowry, you have these guys that can be a supporting cast around them. That's the issue that Portland had too. They never really had the, the Mobley, the Allen, yeah. a bunch of three and D guys. Utah kind of had the same thing, right? Like they just yeah. had Rudy Gobert and then like six, five Royce O'Neal or Bogdanovich or Ingles, yeah. right? Like there wasn't the rest of that kind of front court support there. Yeah. And like offensively, I, I think when Sexton went out last year, um, you guys lost so much of your offensive versatility. It just it, it seemed like a lot of it was just Garland pick and roll, Rubio pick and roll and see yeah. if, see if we can generate stuff from there. But Sexton just adds so much. Just another dynamic, just another source, uh, something to you know kind of go through. And I think Levert, to a certain extent, does that as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think Sexton is like a must to keep there, which is in a lot of ways why I'm I'm kind of bullish on Sexton now, even mm-hmm. though, you know, it, se- it seems the Cavs and, and him are a little bit far apart on their extension. I think he does make sense for their future. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the support of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen definitely makes a big difference from a team building standpoint. Just like the support that Zoom provides to this podcast. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. All right, my third question for you, man. Let's hear it. So 
we kind of already touched on the one that I had, which was if the path to contention doesn't involve a big trade, what do you kind of make of the timeline? Like what's the path to these teams, uh, this team getting better? But because we already touched on that, I've got a bit of a backup here. Okay. Do you think the Siakam, OG, Scotty Barnes, those three in the front court is something that can work moving forward long-term because uh, th- there certainly were the rumors that like OG wasn't necessarily happy about his touches. And, you know, like mm-hmm. even if you're talking about like a precious breakout, all of a sudden you have Scotty Siakam OG uh, to, to kind of figure out who starts and who uh, goes to the bench. Like, do yeah. you think that that trio can work long-term for the cat uh, for the Raptors? Yeah, th- it's, it's really interesting too because they are pushing so much of this positionless basketball. You know, yeah. six nine, throw whatever guy you want on the lineup. So it's it's tough to really. You guys are hogging all the six nine wings like that. Yeah, that's, yeah. You, you know, we we will take OG <laughs> if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like if we were to combine the Raptors and Cavs, unstoppable yeah, contenders for monsters. years to come. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. Um, but no, I mean, I, I think the the. The functionality of a couple of these guys makes it so that you can play them at different positions. Um, you know, we've heard Nick Nurse talk about the fact that they want Scotty to be more of a point guard moving forward. So I think you could see him end up being more of a ball handler and less of a forward, even though he does fit the mold of being a forward. So now you're afforded to kind of throw him in the backcourt and have him and Fred Van Vliet as your backcourt. And now you have room for a precious or whoever, a big man, whatever comes by. But I, I think that's the way you do this is you you make other guys be put into different positions that they can be in. Pascal Siakam, another guy who was developed into a playmaker, maybe he plays more of a point forward role. And you have, you know, a bunch of guys who can do a little bit of everything. The goal with that is that you don't have to necessarily worry about the positions, more so about touches. And I I 100% agree that the OG thing is something that they need to address. I think it's been confirmed to me by a bunch of different people that, you know, the OG thing does have merit to it. There is truth to this. And when it comes to figuring it out, this is probably, uh, you know, problem number one that they want to figure out because OG is a really good player. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very, very talented. He wants to see more self-creation opportunities, more touches, more opportunities for him to grow as a player. And do, I think do, you, every- do you think that's like something that's worth investing in, like getting those self-creation or, or do you think he's a little better off? Like Mikhail Bridges is an interesting example, not only because both of them are kind of in trade rumors when you talk about Kevin Durant yeah. and that, but like both of them filled their role so well, but there's mm-hmm. also like the flashes of self-creation with both where you feel like, okay, I can see OG or Bridges expanding their game, but is that it? What's in the best interest for the team? Do you, do you think it? like yeah. expanding that aspect for OG and prioritizing his development is what's best for the Raptors? I think it's not what's option number one. I think okay. they would love to do that, but mm-hmm. I think for them is you know, hey, how can we get Scotty more touches right now? How can we figure out what he can be, what his potential is? Hey. How can we get Precious more involved and get him, you know, more touches, et cetera. But I do think OG is someone that they want to kind of keep moving forward. It's just a matter of how are we going to keep this guy satisfied? How are we going to keep him happy with all of these mouths to feed? Yeah. Um, the Raptors are in sort of a, a, a particular situation, a peculiar situation, if you will, because they were the only team last year that had all five of their starters average 15 plus points. And I think most of them had 20 plus usage. So the, all of the guys are handling the rock. Everybody is, is touching the ball. They're all it, playing 40 minutes. <laughs> they're all playing 40 plus minutes. Yeah, exactly. And it it's, it's tough to see how you can shift over stuff without taking away from guys who are already contributing at a high level. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you'd have to take away from a Fred Van Vliet who probably exerted himself too much last season uh you'd probably have to take away from a pascal siakam a little bit uh in order to give more opportunities to scotty and og i personally think that it's worth it to do that because fred van vliet is such a good off-ball player so you can take away some of his on-ball reps and give it to a scotty and give it to an og and he's mentioned in the past that he's comfortable with that happening down the road i think there is room for that i really do Mm -hmm. think there is room for that and in terms of it being worth worth it, I think OG has shown enough to to show and to say to the Raptors that, hey, like, look, I can do a little bit more. Let me see what I can do. And if that opportunity presents itself, why not take it? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I just think it gets so tricky when you talk about yeah. who starts because it, it's weird because they have a logjam with kind of those six nine wings, but then there's also like there's not a ton of depth at the one and two, right? Like yeah. there, there's not a lot of proven depth, I should say. You can always kind of have internal leaps, whether it's from guys like Banton or, or um, you know, some of the other guys that they have in that mix. But it, you know, what, it, what's it, funny is I'll, I'll say this is like they they, they it, like. You could say they have a log jam and I could sit here and agree with you, but they don't like, they really don't believe that they have a log jam log jam. They think like the more, the merrier let's get yeah. more six foot nine guys and see how we can make these funky lineups. And Nick nurse has proven in the past that like he enjoys making these weird lineups and seeing if they work. So I don't know. I, th I think, I think it's a, it's a good problem to have, but it's definitely something that they want to address. Yeah. For sure. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. All right. What's your right. third and final question here? I am dedicating a whole question to Ochai. So talk to me, man. Look, look, how big of a role do you expect him to have this year? You obviously mentioned the fact that he's a little bit older. He's 22. So he might be more ready to contribute. Um, he was awesome in the summer league. I thought he was great. Do you expect him to have a big role this season, especially because you guys have a pretty, you know, speaking of log jams, a, a log jam at the guard rotation, even if yeah. Sexton comes back. So what do you think? Yeah, I, I kind of like have him penciled in right now for like 18 minutes a night. Like, I, I think you're, he's going to eat a lot of like the backup small forward minutes. And maybe he ends up getting labeled as the shooting guard in that lineup. And, and yeah. they call like Karis Levert the small forward or whatever the case may be. But I kind of see him filling that role because like, I, I don't know. I basically kind of see him taking the Jetty Osman role. Like, at least that's my hope, right? Like, when you invest a first-round pick, you want to see them have uh, that kind of an impact. And I just think the gravity, like, you look at Larry Markinen, and it took him a while to find his footing playing at the small forward position last year. But even early on when the three-pointer wasn't falling at the same clip it was uh, second half of the season, he still had a lot of gravity, and he helped those lineups work. And I, I think having someone that doesn't really take a lot off the table that knows his role that is going to have those quick trigger threes uh he's so talented and, and athletic off ball like I, I think that's someone that Darius Garland's going to find for for back uh yeah. backdoor lobs and all that kind of stuff like I just I that skill set is something I see earning minutes and I, I see that's that's someone that I can see JB Bickerstaff having a lot of trust in assuming it all works right like uh, Carter's brought this up a million times but even like JJ Redick it was a learning curve for him to get those shots off in the NBA and, and shoot at a high level uh, Danny Green obviously took some time Joe Harris took some time like all of these guys take time even Desmond Bain I, I think Bain's a, a good example of like a four-year player like Abaji um was good his rookie year but wasn't you know like a 25 yeah. minute per night kind of guy that uh you could rely on in the same way so I do think Abaji's going to have a significant role the x factor in that of course is does Isaac Okoro take a big step forward because he's basically the same age as Mobley. Like we've already now had reports that uh, he's made significant strides offensively th this off season and the Cavs are happy with the progress he's made. I, I want to see it. Um, and I, I think it's a good thing that you have the healthy competition and there's all these kind of like six, six guards that can maybe flex over to the the three and Abaji is one of them. Um, so I, I do think that there's going to be a, a pretty meaningful opportunity and role available for Abaji. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear that because I'm high on him. I I really do think like there is potential for him to come in, contribute right away, and like you said, maybe not in a 25 plus minute a role night, but like 18, 20 minutes, maybe 15 a night. That's that's definitely something that you can see him do. Um, and I think it's a good problem to have to have all these guards that you can kind of facilitate and work with because. Down low, you're established, in my opinion. Mobley, yeah. um, you know, obviously Rolo off the bench is actually a really good add, too. I think that that kind of f solidifies some things for you guys. But in terms of your guard rotation, now you have these different things that you can play with, these different lineups, and guys who can kind of give you different things. Garland is the main centerpiece there, of course. But, you know, when it comes to Sexton and his off-ball movement, his creativity when it comes to creating for himself, then you have Okoro and Obaji who can do a little bit of everything here and there. And Okoro is, I would say, he's probably the best cutter on the team if you want to. Yeah, well, I think that's that's a, that's a pretty reasonable take. Um, I yeah. mean, Jared Allen 
everyone will be cheating <laughs> with yeah, rim yeah, running. But yeah, yeah. yeah, at least for perimeter guys, um, I, I would say Okoro is definitely up there. It's either him or Sexton, right? Yeah. Um, so I just think there's so many guys that can do so many different things for you guys. And, you know, one of the things, like I mentioned earlier, is like this offensive versatility was probably the one thing I I would have liked the Cavs to address. And I think with their additions this summer, they have bringing back Rubio, Abaji, et cetera, et cetera. These are, these are guys that can give you a little bit more juice. Um, yeah. Even Neto, right? Like Neto can let you run some off-ball sets for for Garland in a two-point guard look. Like I I think people forget just kind of how weird the Cavs got early in the season. Like uh, there were, I think there were like at least two games. I I know the Clippers was one of them, and I think Charlotte was the other, where they closed with Garland, Rubio, Sexton, Mobley, and Allen. Like it was a (laughs) three-point guard look or a three-guard look, Um, and like it was just okay. Let's let's get funky. Let's try stuff. This way, we we've got all these different guys moving off ball, and it really was unfortunate that as the season progressed, more and more tools were taken out of the tool belt instead of adding to it. Right. So uh, I am interested to see what a full season of Karis LeVert coming into camp looks like. What Lowry Markinen preparing to play three in the off season looks like. Right. Like there's just so many different things that could end up hitting that it really does feel like there's a lot of great options for the Cavs. And health. I really, that's, there's no other team other than maybe Zion Williamson and the Pelicans that I just hope stays healthy this year because there was, there was something really special happening early in the season. So I just, I hope, yeah. you know, stay man, healthy, man games please. missed. I mean, the only team in the Eastern conference that missed more games than the Cavs was Orlando who missed like an impossible, like 450 <laughs> man games or something like that. Uh, 268 player games missed for the Cavs due to injury, not, not counting COVID. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, the healthiest teams were like Charlotte, Boston, Philly, and, and Toronto was the fourth. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's I, I think the health is definitely going to play a factor. But I also think, like, teams aren't going to be caught off guard by the Cavs in the same way, right? Like, it, it's going sure. to be a real dogfight. And before we wrap this thing up, I, I'm curious. Out of kind of like that third tier of the Knicks, Charlotte, Washington, like, which of those teams do you think has the best chance of jumping up to into this next tier? That's here. Uh, are we counting the ah oh man? Are we counting the the Detroit and Orlando? You know, and if those? you want to go all the way down and, and predict like yeah. a Cavs like rise, mm-hmm, go for mm-hmm. it. I really do think it's the Pistons, man. Really? Um, I really maybe not this year. Um, it might be a year too early. I, I, that happened to me with the Cavs, I think, too. I that, think that's it, the case. I think they're just a little bit too young, especially like if Durant's yeah. playing a major role. Like quarterbacking a defense as a center is it's tough. So tough. Yeah. 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 I know you're right. And I remember, what was it, two years ago, I said the same thing about the Cavs, and I was a year early. And, you know, it happened at, after that. So I, I just, I don't know. I, I see something with the Pistons, maybe not this year. But I do think that at some point they'll jump. Now, if we're talking about this year, I think probably the Knicks are the the team that I would pick in that group. I think yeah. you said it. Charlotte regressing makes a bunch of sense. Obviously, them with the Miles Bridges situation is is a whole thing. Um, and Washington, I just think is just stuck in this mediocrity mud <laughs> that they just can't get out of. And I really don't see uh, a leap leap unless Bradley Beal is back to all NBA type levels. And, and if Johnny Davis is who I thought pre-draft and not what he looked like in summer, because <laughs> yes. yeah, that looked like, really bad, really fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And look, I mean, maybe Kristaps Porzingis gets back to his ways. Who knows? But I, I just, I forgot I think they had we, him. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. What a weird it, it, team. It's a strange team, right? I just, I can't put my vote for those guys. So I, I guess I would say the Knicks, just because I think Brunson is good. I think Brunson is is a really, really good, like they needed a point guard for so long, and he fills that need, um, and you know, opens up a lot of things for RJ and maybe even Julius Randle to do a little bit, you know, things that he's better at versus trying to be this point forward type. So yeah, yeah, I, I, I would say the Knicks, but I'm not necessarily like throwing my you know betting the house on it but i I mean from a reported christmas day schedule standpoint i'm sure everyone (laughs) at the league office would hope that it's the Knicks making a step forward because that makes that first game uh, a lot more interesting but i also kind of like being eased in to my christmas day you know yeah a game you don't really have to care about you're still kind of like working on meal prep for for later in the day or whatever you got going on on christmas day it's kind of nice to to have the reliable Knicks just being a little bit meaty (laughs) 
mediocre at that the like, buffer game. Slot. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I need a I, I need it. a buffer sometimes before like to to ease in and prepare my mind. It's like stretching before a big athletic competition. <laughs> the, the Knicks yeah. are the stretching of the NBA stretch of teams. the NBA. Yes, thank you, New York, for that. I appreciate you. Yeah. Oh man. Well, S, thank you so much for coming on, man. This was a lot of fun. Uh, before I wrap this thing up, uh, do you have anything uh, you got going on you want to let people know about? Yeah, um, got a video coming out on Thursday about Bronny, Bronny James. That should be a fun one. And then um, on Saturday, a video on Bill Russell's reg- legacy. So check it out on the Scores YouTube channel if you'd like. Absolutely. Make sure you guys are subscribing to that. It's a lot of fun. Big thanks to everyone uh, for supporting the podcast. We obviously weren't live on YouTube this time because Carter is overseas. He ran away from us. He, he couldn't even wow. stand to be in the same country. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that we're ever in the same country, <laughs> but, you know, the same continent. He, he didn't want to be in the same continent, but uh, we really do appreciate all your support. Make sure uh, if you want to support us via podcast, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. And until next time, go catch. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at AvalonWaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated.